Father, we, uh, we thank you this morning for just what this, this song says. Father, it says, how can it be? How can it be that in the midst of me being such a wretched individual, a sinner, Father, you allowed me, you allowed us to wake up this morning. You have every right in the world, as we, we say so often, to blow us out of the, the water. To take our life, to say, hey, look, nice try. But you don't. Father, you are this God who is so in love with each one of us on an individual level. Just like, just like Beck said, this isn't just uh, a mob. and You love the whole mob. You love me. Individually, You're concerned about what's going on inside of me. Lord, you're concerned about what's going on inside of each one of these individuals sitting in this church today. How can that be? We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But Father, you still give it. You still give grace. You still give forgiveness, kindness, goodness, all of it. Because you love your children. Father, I, we are so thankful for that this morning. We're thankful for who you are, for what you do in our lives, Father. But more so, just for your heart. For your heart towards those who you say are your children. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to be here this morning. For you to speak through me, through the scripture. And that the hearts that are listening to the word of God would be affected by not the personality up front. But Lord, but what you say in Genesis to Revelation. We want to take your word for it today. So I pray that you soften our hearts, Lord. You get our hearts to a place because you're the only one who can do that. You're the only one who can change a man's heart. I pray that you get our hearts to a place where we can receive you. We can receive the relationship. This isn't rules and regulations. This is a relationship this morning. So God, we just pray for more of you to be in here. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Father. Yes, Lord. More of your spirit in Jesus' name, Father. We need it. Speak to each one of us, Lord, on an individual level. Something very specific. I know you want to say something to us today. I pray that we are attentive and we listen for your voice. So, Lord, we love you. We invite you in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys can be seated this morning. Again, thank you so much for being here. You guys could gone anywhere else today, but you decided to come to, uh, come to ESS and listen to a, a weird guy preach the word. That's what we do here. We just preach it. And so, for those of you who have been here a thousand years, or this is your first time, we're going through the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is like, buckle up every single time. Because it is deep. And I'm about to change this microphone. I'm just going to grab the handheld. That means I can't carry around my Bible, and that's disappointing. 
because I like to do that. But we're going through the book of Romans. And we started in uh, the 1st of January. We're only a little bit through chapter 2. And that's simply because we don't want to miss anything. We don't want to miss what the Lord is, is trying to communicate to us. And we are in such an exciting time at Jesus Christ Fellowship because um, we're in the process of buying this building, as you heard. But that whole process has caused in us this complete dependence upon Jesus. Um, the story that came with that $50,000 is completely Jesus. There is nothing else that can explain that. And that is, I think, how the Lord wants us to live our lives. Is to talk to people and say, look, there's no other way to explain it. It was just Jesus. And that in and of itself, ladies and gentlemen, is enough of an explanation. If you know who Jesus is, if you let him hit your heart in ways that confront your fear, confront your doubts, you will end up saying all day, every day, amen. Jesus is real because he is doing something in me. See, what this book of Romans does is it peels away the self and it gets right to the gospel. You guys hear me say all the time up here on the pulpit that if it's not about the gospel, then we should close up shop, put a little sign on the door and say, hey, we're, we're not going to do this anymore because we're, we're making this more about ourselves. <laughs> That'd be a weird sign to read, wouldn't it? But if it's not about the gospel, then we're missing it. The book of Romans gets right at that. As we went through the first chapter, Paul's introduction, he is, yeah, he is uh, basically rolling out the gospel. And don't, don't pay attention to this. Listen to me, okay? Eyes here. Eyes right here. All right? Um... As, as he rolls out the gospel, it's all love, cake, and candy, and just saying, hey, you know what? Like, I want to spend time with you guys. He's speaking to the church at Rome, uh, a church that's been established. Um, Paul didn't have a hand in establishing it. And uh, as we get through the first 18 verses of that, um, yeah, I like this better. Okay, we get through the first 18 verses of the first chapter. Paul rears back, and he just lets these people have it. He speaks directly to unbelief, and he says there's consequences to that. And in verses 18, all the way through the end of chapter 1, he doesn't play games. All right? Now, I want to say this. We don't play games either. Not like, oh, you got to come in here and be perfect and all that. No, we're not talking about that. Uh, show me a perfect person in here and then show me your ways. Like, teach me how you be perfect because I definitely can't do that. But what we do say is you leave that mask at that door. Whatever happens to you during the week, you don't have to come in here and put on. All right? Because Paul doesn't play around with these people. He says there's consequences to unbelief. When you supp suppress the truth and unrighteousness, walk away from the Lord. He will, the Lord will allow you to experience what that's like so that you hate the alternative of walking away from him. You guys with me? Well, Paul just continues in more of that. 
And getting through the first three chapters of Romans is kind of tough simply because it's just haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. However, what we're about to read here today is a little bit of the same. However, there's a point in verse 11 that I'm going to read real quick and then I'm going to jump and read to the, the whole scripture because I want you guys to have the text for today. Um, but it's verse 11 of chapter 2. And this is what today's message will be about totally and completely. For there is no partiality with God. Title of the message. The impartiality of God. Comes from that verse right there. We had the wonderful privilege of being able to hear Beck preach last week on verses 1 through 8. And before I read this, let me ask you this question. Do you know who God is? Do you know who he is? I think that we might be able to answer that question just a little bit because our limited capacity of being able to wrap our head around who Christ is will never be able to. You cannot comprehend or understand him. You have to experience him. That's what that, that, The Lord wants you to, to, to have faith and let faith work first before understanding comes. He'll bring understanding. But you just, you just can't wrap your head around all of who Christ is. But when I say, do you know who God is? That comes from, on a weekly basis, people asking me questions. All right? Some of which I will be honest with you and them, I don't have answers for. I'm not going to be that guy who's going to just make something up and try to flip through the scripture and pull something out of context and say, let me, oh, thank God I was able to answer that, kind of. No. If I don't know it, I'm going to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you I'm going to go try to find it. But if somebody says to me, here's who I think God is, and it doesn't line up with his character in scripture, then we have to revisit that. What's being communicated here through verses, uh, the first part of chapter 2 all the way through 16, is more of God's character. One thing, and I've got to stop talking before I read this stuff. One thing that I really appreciate that Beck said last week that we continue to, to, to say to you guys on a continual basis. People will say, well, if you were just willing to listen to what the scripture is saying to me and how I feel about it, then maybe you can kind of learn and, and grow. And you got to be careful with that statement because the scripture never asked us what we felt about it. The scripture will tell you how it feels about itself and also how it feels about you and I. It's the word of God. The scripture doesn't need my opinion. I don't ever want you to come in here because of the personality. We're going to preach the word. Whether it comes from me, my dad, Rick, Beck. I mean, we might get somebody else up here. and I'm going to scare somebody right now. We might get Caleb Booten. I'm just kidding. Don't freak out. But don't come here because of the personality. Come here because the word says what it says and the word interprets itself. So you don't have to take my word for it today. You don't. In fact, I don't want you to. You take the word's word for it. Amen? Amen. All right. So let me read this, verses 9 through 16. And this is about the impartiality of God, knowing more about his character. And it says this, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, 
of the Jew first and also of the Greek. And then it says, but, it's a good one, glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good work, who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who, have uh, who are just before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Verses 1 through 8 to get to that. Beck spoke on a very, very potent spot, uh, topic. Basically saying that the window that we have to live this life before Jesus comes back, before we die, whatever it is, if eternity, because it's eternal and it never ends, you can't measure it, if it was from that wall to that wall, our life would be a speck of dust in the corner, a fraction of a speck of dust. But the window that we have to live for Christ is closing because nobody knows the time or the day when he's going to come back. So in verse 4, all right, I just want to preface this before I start breaking these scriptures down. Verse 4 is what hit me the most. He's speaking to the Jews and the Gentiles saying, look, do you think lightly, this is verse 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads us to repentance? Am I taking the Lord's kindness for granted? Because he hasn't punished me in the moment. He hasn't disciplined me in the moment. Am I saying, oh, well, you know, I can kind of just get away with whatever it is I want to get away with. <laughs> Am I taking the fact that he could totally and completely wipe me off of this earth right now? Am I taking that for granted? Paul's speaking this to these people. What he's trying to communicate in verses 9 through 16 is that whether you know Jesus or not, all of it is going to be looked at. All of it is going to be judged. There is no partiality with the Lord. He's speaking to a Jewish nation that thinks just because they have Jesus' blood running through his veins, their veins, they got a free ticket. They can do anything they want. And also a Gentile, uh, which is just non-Jew, non-Greek speaking individual. Um, it's not a derogatory term. It's just Gentiles. People who are the judge of their own character. What's good for me is what's good for me. What's good for you is what's good for you. Does that make sense? Paul is so wanting to make sure that at the end, when he says, my gospel, uh, as for my gospel, he's saying to this church at Rome, 
if you're operating with the same gospel, then we should have the same outcome. That you should know that there's nothing about you that makes you special. <laughs> That's a hard one to hear. The only thing about you that makes you special is that Jesus lives in you. Now let me say this. He made you, and then he threw away the mold. So yes, you are special, all right? Don't walk out of here being like, ah, oh, Pastor Square. He said I wasn't special. I know I'm special. Well, good. Keep saying that to yourself. I love it. It's good uh, mental dialogue, whatever you have with yourself. <laughs> but what I am saying is that that cannot save you from yourself. That's real. You with me this morning? So verse 9, again, it says this. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of a man who does evil. Then he swings to the other side of the spectrum. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. Now there's a distinction being made here that there is no black, excuse me, there is no gray area. It's black and white. Do you live your life in the gray area? Or do you understand that when we follow Christ, there's consequences? Those are good consequences. When we don't, there's a result of that. There's a byproduct of that. That's what's being communicated here. Right after that, he says there's no partiality. When you choose a certain way, there's a consequence that comes from that. Now, what I want to do with verse 11... This is going to sound harsh this morning, but I want to revisit verse 11 when we're done. And we'll get to that. But I just want, we got to break down the scripture and, and see what the Lord is saying to us in this. As Paul speaks to this church at Rome. Now let me ask you this question before I move on to verse 12. Would you rather struggle because of your salvation, persecution? Or would you rather struggle because of your sin? Big difference. I hear people say all the time, oh man, it's just so hard, it's tough, I'm struggling. I say that too, on a daily basis. <laughs> Banging my head up against the wall. But I then have to ask that personal question, ask myself the personal question. Is that because of me? Or is that because of the fact that I'm you know, proclaiming Jesus in every conversation and it's, it's related to persecution. Are you, are you following me? These verse, this verse 9 and this verse 10. Is there tribulation and distress in my life because I'm choosing to do the wrong thing? The Lord is not a puppeteer. The Lord will never make you do anything. That narrative needs to get kicked out. You are... How do I say this? He gave you free will because he loves you. And because of that, we have the ability to choose wrong, which is sad when we know what right is. But I would rather struggle because I'm walking in the calling. I'm walking in the gifting. You guys trucking with me? Does that, does that make sense? To speak more to this, turn to John 15. Just a couple, uh, a couple books over. And I don't have this on the screen. Sometimes I, I get hit with stuff late. Send 
our office administrator, the notes and the, the scripture and the cross-reference, but you guys should have it in front of you because you, it's church. You should bring your Bible to church, right? Okay, I'll get off that one. I'm not judging you. I swear. John 15, 18, 19, and 20 says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this world, because, excuse me, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. I want to be walking in hardships because I refuse to step away from the calling that's been put on my life. Does that make sense? I hope it's the same for you guys. I hope it's the same for us that we understand the difference between actively choosing to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what it was said. That's what was... Um, Spoken in, in chapter 1, verse 19, excuse me, 18. Or we choose to receive and accept willfully who Jesus is in our lives because there is no partiality with God. Now it says in verse 12, for all, all, meaning all, in the Greek that means all, right on, for all who have sinned, Without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Whether you have Jesus or you don't, it's going to be looked at. Now, who is the law? Because we see the law spoken in here about 14 times, and that's really all you hear. You're like, the law, the law, oh my goodness, the law. The law is Jesus Christ. So let's read that again. For all who have sinned without Jesus will also perish without Jesus. Uh, without the law, Jesus, and all who have sinned under Jesus will be judged by Jesus. Not me, not the church, not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, not your boss. Here's what you got to understand. Don't take my word for it. I'm not worried about what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not. I need to be worried about what I'm doing and what it's communicating to Jesus. Because he's the one who sees all of it. Okay, there's, there's, there's more to these scriptures. I'm giving you some face value stuff here. Here again, verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, we are justified by faith, meaning that because we claim Jesus, we are not justified by our works. We are not justified by thinking ourselves into or out of any situation. The gospel is it. That's the only thing that justifies you and I. Those of us who have received Christ into our lives. But to bring more light to this, it is not the hearers of the law who are just but God, uh, before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Turn to James. James 1. 22. In 
it gives us a little understanding of what the difference between hearers and doers are. It says this in verse 22. It says, Prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law and the law of liberty and abides by it, lives in it, not having become forget, uh, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, I look in a mirror, I walk away, I forget what I look like. I go to a Bible study, I come to church, I hear the word, I walk out, and 10 minutes later, I forget what I heard. 10 minutes later, I'm doing the very same thing before I came in. Does that, does that make sense? Very simple. Hearers won't be just before the Lord, but the doers of what is the gospel. When the gospel is in you, it translates not only from your head to your heart, but also to your feet. And you become more than just somebody giving someone else lip service or giving God lip service. And guess what? I'm guilty of that. Everybody in here is guilty of it. Like, I'm not perfect. There's time where I let the emotion go. It's like, oh, pull it back. Forgive me, Jesus. Because I didn't give that person me. Excuse me, Christ, I gave that person me. So as you leave today, being justified comes more so with being a doer of what, of what you hear from the Lord, of what you read in, in, in Scripture, in your experience with Him. Amen? with me this morning. Got to make sure y'all are still somewhat awake because I know daylight savings time. First service was rough. <laughs> we started worship with two people right here. Uh, four maybe. Just going to take the microphone off and say let's have a small group this morning. But it was good. Just want to make sure you guys are alive. And then verse 14. It says, for when Gentiles who did not have the law do instinctively, hang on to, uh, to that word, the things of the law, these not having the law, or a law to themselves. I'm going to stop right there, even though it's a comma, not a period. Have you ever seen or had somebody ask you the question or been in on a conversation where the subject is, how come there's so many good people in this world who don't know Jesus doing good things? That's, like, that's a tough, tough question to answer. Because we know scripture to say, hey, if you don't know the Lord, can't get into heaven. When you know him, like it says in Romans 10, all you have to do is believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. That's it. No amount of God credits you got to build up in order to say that. We know that to be true, but what about all these good people doing good things, but they don't know Jesus? Help me out with that one. Let me say it like this. Everyone who's ever created is made in the image of Christ. He made those people. He made them to function in a way that is directly connected to 
him. I'm going to say this, whether they know him or not. People are capable of good things. Everybody's capable of good things because of our sinful nature. Guess what? We're also capable of extremely horrible and disgusting things. We are. But no amount of good works. Here's where the, 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 the partiality, the impartiality of God comes in. There is no amount of good works in being good that can save you from yourself and help you, I don't know, give you salvation, accept salvation. Does that make sense? It's like saying this, there's all these good people in the world doing good things. Well, we don't even know what good is. Because true goodness is explained in Scripture. Anything apart from Jesus fails to meet the good standard or the great standard. Are you with me this morning? So he's speaking, Paul's speaking to the church at Rome about the Gentiles who instinctively, they look as if they have Jesus in them. They're doing things as though he is there. But here's where the rubber meets the road. The back half of verse 14, they are a law to themselves. Basically saying, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. And Paul's saying, look, that is not the truth. Let me give you the truth. And he goes on to explain just a little bit more of this, this backwards way of thinking. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. They're conscious, bearing witness, and their thoughts doing two things. Accusing, alternately accusing or else defending them either themselves or their works. Basically saying, look, I'm good. Like, I helped that lady cross the street. Man, two points on the heaven train. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I just made that up. <laughs> or, you know, just being, being a good citizen. I then become my own judge. And again, Paul is saying, let me make it black and white for you. Because I don't want you to miss this. If you operate in an area of your life where you are your own judge, let me just bring it back to reality for you. And he says this in verse 16. On the day when, according to my gospel, now he's not saying the gospel according to Paul. He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. That verse right there scares the mess out of me. Because there's scriptures that say everything that you've ever done or, or will do, he sees it and it'll get exposed. That makes me get my face as far into the carpet in my basement where I'm smelling concrete underneath the carpet on my knees saying, Lord, please, Because it's very easy to walk around in this community and even come in here on a Sunday morning and act like you got it all taken care of. Oh, I'm good. Yeah? What about that secret stuff? See, he sees that too. And the thing about it is there's so much goodness in that. It may be tough and hard to be able to have to confront it. But why walk around here like a fake person? plays in to you. I'm going to use different words. It's killing you. You are dying. Trying to be something that you're not. 
trying to justify a way of life that will bring, like it says in verse 9, distress and tribulation. That stuff has an effect on you, like physically, hormonally, emotionally. I say you as if I'm up here like this perfect person. Us, we, me. He's going to judge the secret things. And that's the black and white. Like I said, you don't have to take my word for it. I'm not in here trying to get you to like me. Come like the pastor at Jesus Christ Fellowship. If we had this place packed out because it was fun, because everyone liked me and my personality, which I hope this isn't a, like a representation of you guys, you know, my personality and the amount of people who like it. <laughs> but we're missing it. You would walk out of here ill-equipped, not knowing that the Lord is not only a loving God, but he's a just God. And this window of us being able to just kind of say, you know what, God, I I'm good. You didn't... Wipe me off the face of the earth so I, I think I can kind of still be in this sin. Uh -huh. We take his love and kindness for granted. If I didn't preach this to you, you wouldn't know who God is. Now this is not all of who he is and we can just go home with our tails between our legs and say, <laughs> this is great. But what this is saying with this, this secrets, as I get back to verse 11, your disclosed methods, not undisclosed, disclosed, the ones you keep away from people, those are the ones he's going to jump right down into the middle of and say, look, we need to get at this. But he doesn't do it to say, let me expose you and put you there and then walk the other direction and let everyone else laugh at you. And, you know, you're the laughing stock of the church. That is not his intention. There's a purpose for that. So that what is in you that is not of him can be removed. And you can then operate as the God-fearing child that he made you to be. So as we get back to verse 11, maybe we get that back up on the screen. It says, For there is no partiality with God. Understand that our sin will be judged. There's no partiality when it comes to what we do and the consequences for that. He's not all of a sudden going to give up his deity because he's just going to let you walk in your sin and wallow in your sin. He will be God. But here's what else we have to understand about that statement. That not only is he going to judge the disclosed things in a bad sense, he'll judge the disclosed things that you do in a good sense. Lord, judge me on that. When I am in whatever state and a state of mind, state of being, and I'm being bombarded by the enemy over and over and over, because, ladies and gentlemen, that's real. And you don't choose to fall into that. You choose him. That's a first down. Amen. Hallelujah. He's going to judge you on that, too. And it's going to be good. I started to get into this story <laughs> first service then I lost my train of thought and got back to it but I have two very large furry children 
about 100 pounds a piece, all right? And these boys, they're ridiculous. One is named Samson, the other's named Moses, okay? Biblical names, that's good. Alaskan Malamutes. You don't really tell them what to do, you reason with them. You open up the back door and it's, hey, how you doing? You doing good today? All right. You want to come inside? Cool. You want to stay outside? Cool. And you kind of just wait for the dog to make the decision and we're good. Because if you tell them what to do, you might find a ripped up sock or a shirt that's been mangled or papers all over the place somewhere. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a good relationship. But these dogs, when you get them in trouble, they do everything they can to like sidestep the fact that they're getting in trouble. You know, waving their hands, getting up in your face, wagging their tail. No, you just, you got up on the counter and you ate my lunch. What is wrong with you? Bad dog, right? Oh, no, you good. Come on, you love me. I can be cute. It's a funny story. But at the same time, we do the same thing with the Lord. We say, Lord, look at all the good stuff. Don't oh, bad stuff back there. Just don't pay attention to it. He has to. But the point I'm trying to make here is that not only is he a God that is just, there's no partiality with that. You know what rocks my world and brings me to a place of repentance, understanding his kindness. There's no partiality with him when it comes to salvation either. He didn't say anywhere in his word that an individual has to get to a certain point before they can accept Christ. There's no partiality with him when he loves people either. That's a part of it that's just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that part. You don't have to get yourself to a place where you've built up enough God credits to approach the throne and say, okay, I'm good. Now I can work on my relationship with the Lord. You may be at rock bottom, and he is impartial to that. He's still going to love you. He's still going to come after you. He's still going to speak to you. The question is, do we have enough in us to listen, to let him do his work? There's no partiality. There's no amount of sin, I've said this before, that can outdo God. Your sin is not bigger than him. There's nothing you can do to get him to say, you know what, I might have messed up on this one. <laughs> Yeah. Nowhere in the world. The word will you see that. So are, are we catching this this morning? Again, don't take my word for it. This is what scripture says. Now if we're saying the authority of scripture isn't quite where it needs to be in our lives, well, I'll pray for you. Because this is what needs to be the guiding force for us. You should be asking yourself the question in every single situation, well, what does scripture say about that? How should I react? How should I plan? How should I step into according to the God-breathed Word of God? It's all right here. And it just takes some time to read it. Amen? Bear with me because 
Paul doesn't really get off of this uh, bringing the hammer until halfway through uh, excuse me, chapter 3. But I don't want us to miss the goodness of who Christ is in this. That simply the only thing that Paul is doing is saying, let me just be real with you. I've, I hope and pray that other churches in this town are doing the same thing. And saying, look, we have to understand the seriousness of walking away from the Lord. And what that brings. Not that he's all of a sudden going to say, you know, you walked away from me. Say la vie. Have a good one. But there are consequences to that. If we know what those consequences are, let's hate that. And I'm not talking about the Greek interpretation of the word hate like it is in John 14, 26 of loving less. No, I'm talking about with vengeance. Okay? With um, fervence, hating walking away from the Lord because that in and of itself uh, doesn't even come close to what it's like to even be in His presence. Amen? Amen. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. There's no partiality in who He is. Thank goodness. Thank God for that. Because if there was, all of us would be gone. Clothes would just be on the ground like we got vaporized. The whole rapture business. Let's uh, get prepared for our offering and have our worship team come back out. Just know that the Lord that you serve is more interested in the reality, excuse me, um, you knowing the truth than you pretending to operate in something that might look like something close to but not really the truth. It's even hard to explain it that way. I just like saying the truth because it's easy. You guys can come up here. Oh. I'll just pray for this real quick and continue to close. So Father, thank you so much for this morning, for your provision. Father, for the fact that we have something to be thankful for today. We don't understand all of what you do or why you do it or how you do it, but Father, we know that you're God. We know there's a plan in everything. Father, I pray for this offering that as it goes by, you would release whatever into these baskets, Father, in a way in us that we do it joyfully. Because it's all yours anyway. All of it. Every dollar on this earth belongs to you. And you allow us to be uh, stewards of your provision, of your resources. I just pray that we release to you what is yours. And it would bless you, Father. We want to worship you in this this morning. So we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and pass that. You know, there's things that happen to us on a daily basis. Life circumstances that we don't have answers for. Ones that are confusing. We lose people. We gain people. 
the end of it. How we deal with those situations, what is that communicating to the God that we serve? Do you know who God is? Do you know that the circumstance that he has you in right now, right now, he's trying to gain more of his character from you, through you, that you operate as basically his filter from him to a non-believer. That he shines his light through you and whatever is projected from that communicates Jesus and that's it. That's why you are where you are. But let me tell you that you are where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. And he's got it taken care of as much as it doesn't feel like that. There's no partiality in the God that we serve. He's a God of justice, but he loves his kids so much it's ridiculous. So why don't you pray with me? Let's stand and finish and close in this worship song. But Father, if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, who's never accepted you into their life as their Lord and personal Savior, Father, this could be that moment where they understand that no matter what, Lord, you're going to judge the secrets of man. You're going to judge the secrets of me. And they're saying, I want to be on the good side of that. Where there's hope. Lord, we know that what sin did is it created a gap between you and your children. But what you did on the cross closed that gap. What you did walking out of that tomb closed that gap. And just like it says in Romans, all we got to do is confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that you are Lord and is taken care of. Lord, if there's anybody in here who's never said that or taken that leap of faith, today's their day. Don't miss this moment. If that's you and the Lord's moving you to accept Christ in your life for the first time, all I want you to do is just raise your hand. And we'll pray for you. We'll welcome you into the kingdom. But if that's you this morning, just put your hand up. Thank you, Jesus. Father, again, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you love so deeply, so unconditionally, that agape love that we don't deserve. But Father, for whatever reason, you keep pouring it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song to close, and uh, I'll give you all the benediction after that.